God, we um, are here this morning to, um, as we gather every Sunday morning, Lord, to make much of you, uh, to be reminded of the hope, the ultimate hope that is found only in you, to be reminded of your faithfulness, to be reminded that your mercies are new uh, today and every day. That is, uh, Jason said that you are a good and a reigning God, that you are sovereign, that you are loving and you are good, and that you are also um, Emmanuel, God with us. And so, God, we uh, want to uh, exalt you, continue exalting you this morning through your word. And I pray, God, that, uh, that your word would burn in our hearts. I pray that your word this morning would reveal more of who you are and for your great love for your people. And uh, God, I pray for anybody that's uh, here this morning, uh, God, only you know who they are that have yet to bend their knee. Uh, they're still walking through life, trying to figure things out and trying to make things happen on their own. I pray, God, that, uh, that you would uh, burn in their heart this morning, that they would uh, see you as a risen God who wants a relationship with them. So we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. We pray all these things in the risen name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and God's people said, amen. amen. Good, morning. Good morning. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Um, those of you that were with us um, before Easter, we've been teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we'll continue that in, um, in four more weeks. But right now we're going we're gonna to do a uh, three-week sermon series um, on uh, the 40 days that um, after Jesus' resurrection until he ascended. And we're going to just be examining different people that he um, had conversations with. Today we're going to look at uh, Mary Magdalene, and we're going to look at the uh, two travelers on the road to Emmaus. And um, I had initially titled this sermon, um, Close Encounters of the First Kind. And just because it sounded cool, and it was Jesus' first encounters, and then I'm like writing this sermon, I go, that's really bad. That doesn't even, like, it's cute, but it doesn't work. Um, so really, um, I would call this sermon... Um, presence, as in um, God being with you, or presence, as in something you receive, as in a gift. Presence or presence. Um, and the reason that I had the, um, the scripture readers read Psalm 42 this morning is we're not going to teach through that, but I thought it would just set our hearts um, in the right place to, um, to hope um, in the risen Christ. You know, the um, sometimes... Um, sometimes, not all the times, but I forget actually that God loves me personally. Um, I think more about that God so loved the world, uh, but oftentimes I forget that he knows me by name, um, that he is with me, that he cares for my needs, he cares for my wants, um, and that he loves me personally. And oftentimes, um, in contrast to the psalmist, um, I pant for what I think I need to maintain my happiness, whatever that might be, whether it be uh, my health, whether it be a certain response from my wife, whether it be um, a certain amount of money in the bank, um, that I pant for what I think I need to maintain um, happiness rather than panting after um, the living water, panting after the bread of life. And I find myself, um, more times I'd like to admit, in circles of satisfaction and dissatisfaction that, um, that keep me spinning around depending upon whether or not he gives me what I want or what I think I need. 
the bottom line, it, at times, I'm more interested in what he can give me than in the reality of his presence that he is with me. And we're going to see today that Mary Magdalene wanted Jesus. She wanted his presence. She wanted him to be with her. Where the travelers on the road to Emmaus wanted his gifts. They wanted um, his presence. Um, in both cases, Mary's grief and the traveler's unbelief, Jesus revealed his nearness, his presence to them both. Let me just ask you this morning, just to set the stage, do you long more for God being with you, or do you long more for what he can give you? Do you find yourself trying to, uh, do you find yourself like me at times riding a roller coaster of emotions because you may be longing for more of his gifts than his presence? So today we're going to look at these conversations with these people after his resurrection. The first person is stuck in grief. The other is mired in unbelief. And I pray and I trust that you will um, honestly examine yourself, that the Lord, you would allow the Lord to do that um, with no condemnation. Let the Lord examine your heart and that you might see yourself at times in one of these two people. And more importantly, that you would see that God's um, love is enduring and it's faithful even when we lack faith and in the midst of our trials. So if I could just set the stage, um, if you would turn your Bibles to John chapter 20, and we'll be going through uh, at a pretty high level all the way through verse um, 18, I believe. And the stage is uh, set for Easter morning. Um, it's Easter morning, um, it's early, it's shortly after Jesus rose from the dead, and certain women came from Jerusalem to the tomb to anoint Christ's body with spices. And there was at least four women, probably more, that, were, that came to the tomb this early morning. Matthew mentions Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mark tells us that a lady by the name of Salome was president, present, and then Luke includes Joanna. And these devoted women apparently, apparently reached the grave at daybreak, a time when it would have been very difficult to actually see clearly. But what they saw shook them. The stone had been removed from the entrance. And this was no, this was no um, small stone. It was the size of a Volkswagen. Jesus had, had either been um, stolen or he had been raised. The women decided to um, run back, all of them, to inform the disciples that the grave is open and Jesus is gone. And immediately, John and Peter started sprinting towards the tomb. And John writes, for some reason, that he beat Peter to the tomb. Like, why do you have to mention that? Like, I think if um, Peter was writing that, he would have skipped that detail. That he beat Peter to the tomb. Um, John arrived first. Uh, he peeked in the tomb. He stooped down, it says. It was, a, it was a low hole. And he saw the grave cloths lying there. And he didn't go in. But Peter, being the bull in the china closet, arrived a few minutes later. He also peeked in, and he went all the way in. And he saw the same cloths lying there. And he saw a face cloth that was actually lying there that had been folded. And, there, and what they witnessed in the tomb, nobody but grave cloths, it, it stands in stark contrast to what they saw just a few weeks earlier when Lazarus was raised from the dead. 
Lazarus came forth looking like a mummy wearing grave clothes. Jesus' body, though it was physical and material, was glorified and now was able to pass through the grave clothes. The state of those items indicates no struggle, no unhurried wrapping of the body by grave robbers. Who wouldn't unwrap the body anyways? Why would you unwrap a smelly, decaying body if you were going to steal it? All appearances indicated that no one had taken the body, but that, that it had moved through the cloth, and the cloth was left behind in the tomb. And after seeing these neatly folded grave cloths, they believed that he had risen, and they left to go to their home. And apparently, as they left, Mary Magdalene came back by herself. And that's where we uh, pick up in verse 11. But before, before we get to verse 11, I thought it would be good to just give a little bio sketch of who Mary Magdalene is. Mary was a Galilean woman from the town of Magdala. Um, her last name, her maiden name, or her married name, we don't know if she was married, she probably wasn't, um, was not Magdalene. They called her Mary Magdalene because she's from the town of Magdala. And as my wife pointed out to me yesterday, that it seems like every woman in the New Testament's name is Mary. The one who anointed Jesus' feet, the, the adulteress that was going to be stoned, um, Mother Mary. And I think it's just important to distinguish who this lady is. We know from Luke chapter 8, verse 1, that she was healed by Jesus of demon possession. And we also know from Luke chapter 8 that she, along with the other ladies, after she was um, uh, depossessed, she provided for Jesus out of her means, that she traveled with Jesus and the apostles. I don't know how she provided, but it says that, that, that she provided for Jesus and the apostles out of her means. Fast forward a little bit, she was with a group of ladies that stayed close to the cross until Jesus took his last breath. The disciples, many of the, the disciples, especially the men, departed. They tucked tail. And Mary Magdalene and some of the other ladies stayed. She stayed until they took him off the cross and she saw where he was buried. And as we're going to see here in a moment, she was the very first person that Jesus uh, revealed himself to. Mary wasn't just possessed by one demon or three demons or five demons. She was possessed by seven demons. Seven is a mystical number that suggests his completeness. And what that implies is that these evil spirits dominated Mary in, uh, in suffering that was extremely severe. This is a woman that was, um, that was depossessed from the worst oppression that anyone could imagine. And devil possession was not a sin per se. It was an affliction. In scripture, demon-possessed people were always portrayed as tormented, not necessarily as willful lawbreakers. And this horrible affliction and oppression that Mary was saved from actually explains why she, fought, she gave up everything to follow Jesus and actually provided for his ministry. And I think there's something there that the, the, more that, the, the, the more that we understand God's grace, the more that we understand that we were in such a lost and dead position, the more that we want to praise and worship God and follow him with everything we've got. It's also important here to know that in that first century, women were considered second-class citizens, much like the Middle East is today. In fact, women were not even eligible to testify in a Jewish court of law. 
Even a witness of multiple women was not acceptable because of the way they were viewed in that culture. Through Mary, my prayer is that we will learn more about who Jesus was and who he is. After he freed her from the misery of demonic affliction, he found her on this Easter morning in another dark place. Crying, grief-stricken, lonely, and in despair. And so Peter and John returned home and Mary showed back up at the tomb in verse 11, chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She was alone. She was already feeling rejected, abandoned, forgotten. And I would imagine me putting myself in her shoes, being called um, woman rather than Mary. Being called, um, um, hey, dude, rather than Dan would have sounded like a distant, lonely echo, reminding her even more of the loss of her Lord. And then in the end of verse 13, she said to them, they've taken away, they've taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. And don't miss this, actually. I love Mary's response. They didn't take away the Lord. They didn't take away Jesus. They didn't take away the God of Israel. They took away my Lord. They took away my personal Lord. He was her Lord. She loved him. This was a personal loss of infinite magnitude. It reminds me of what Yahweh said to the people of Israel. He says, I will be their God, and what? They shall be my people. God's promise is to be their God. His promise to Mary and his promise to anyone whom he knows and who knows him is to be our God. And to be our God is really a, the most comprehensive commitment that anyone could ever make. To be with his people, to care for his people, to discipline his people, to protect his people, to supply our needs, and to have a personal relationship with us. You see, Mary knew Jesus as the Lord, her God. And she was grieving what she felt was a permanent loss of him. She was, losing, she was grieving the loss of his presence, him with her, rather than the presence that he could give her. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. She turned towards Jesus because I was just, I was kidding with Andrew Melanda earlier, and I'm going to say this because I think it's kind of cool. But, but Jesus in his resurrected state, um, had, he still had the, hand, the, the holes in his hands, um, the holes in his feet, and the hole inside. And I also think Jesus had a sense of humor. He wanted to get Mary's attention. The light was shining in. She turned around and couldn't recognize. How did she know that he was there? And I'm thinking that the sun was coming in, and he had, he had his hand just right so that the light would like shine in her eyes like a magnifying glass, just like you would do with a cat on the floor. That's my weird imagination. But I believe Jesus has a sense of humor. She said, she, um, he, he turned around. Where am I at here? Having said this, she turned around. It might have been the bright light. It could have been his, the light shining through his hand. It could have been the morning fog. Or maybe she was so overcome with grief that her eyes were red 
and she didn't recognize him. And additionally, when was the last time she saw him? He was hanging on the cross. He was beaten. He was bloody. As Isaiah said, that he was beyond recognition. So if he were to rise, she, she probably was thinking that it would be a man that was completely disfigured. And now she thinks it's somebody else, a gardener perhaps. Why a gardener? It's in a garden. I don't know. You guys can explore that. Jesus, he didn't, she didn't know it was Jesus, but Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said, Mary. That's it. Mary. Hearing her name opened her eyes. Hearing her name opened her eyes. That It reminds me of John chapter 10 where Jesus said that he calls his own sheep by name and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Mary knew the good shepherd's voice. She didn't recognize him through her tears, but she knew that voice that called out her name. There's something special about being known, is there not? I go to coffee shops with bad coffee just because they know my name. I pick one microbrew over another just because they know my name. She, he knew her name. There's something special about that. There's something mind-blowing about the fact that the one who created her, who created everything in the cosmos, who knows every one of her sins, knows her by name and loves her and wants to be present with her. And that's true with you. That everything, God knows everything about you. He knows your past. He knows your present sinful thoughts. He knows your future sin. He knows every mistake. And if you've been saved by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that he calls you by name, that you are his and he is yours. And this is instructive to me and I think it's instructive to us on many levels because many of us can say, we can quote John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But how many of you are familiar with Galatians 2.20 where Paul reminds us that God loves you personally? That he knows you personally and wants a relationship with you personally. No matter how bad your morning was. And she turned to him after hearing the word Mary. And I don't know how to pronounce this, but she said Rabboni, which means teacher in Hebrew. And it has further meaning, meaning a master or chief or prince. You see, she had been there in his suffering. She was the last one there in his suffering. And now he's there to comfort her and wipe her tears. In being overwhelmed, she must have thrown her arms around him. But in verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, 
that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And don't skip over this. First time that Jesus referred to any of his followers as brothers. It's been friends. It's been servants. But his resurrection has created a new relationship. It's family. He says, go to my brothers. And he says, tell them that I'm ascending to my father who is your father. To my God, he says, who is your God. In verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. It's very significant to me. I think it's significant really in should be significant to all of us, that Christ first appeared to the woman, Mary Magdalene. It's not so surprising that Jesus would appear to a woman today, but women were outcast. Women were not, um, were not equal in that culture. They, they weren't seen as equals. They were certainly equal. But he appeared to Mary Magdalene, not to an apostle, not to the great in society, not to the church, but to a particular woman. To a particular woman who was oppressed. To a particular woman who had known great oppression and shame. And we'll circle back to this in a minute, but if now you'd flip your Bibles back to Luke chapter, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And we're going to take a look at this, this journey that these two people, I've always said two men, but there's no indication they're two men. One's a man, the other one probably is a woman, actually. And if you've got time, I didn't have time, this Cleopas, this, this traveler, um, the Bible speaks of him a couple of other times. And some have speculated that he's actually an uncle of Jesus. Um, it wasn't pertinent to where I felt like the Lord wanted to take us today, so I didn't dig into that. In verses 13 through 16, on the, 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 the setting is the same day, it's Easter morning, probably mid to late morning. After Jesus appeared to Mary, Jesus' next appearance was to two people walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which was about a seven-mile journey. And they had come to Jerusalem with thousands of other people for the annual uh, Passover week celebration. A week earlier, these, these two people had come to the Passover feast who were now going back home to Emmaus. A week earlier, they probably hailed King uh, Jesus as king as they rode into Jerusalem. They probably, they might have witnessed his hearing, his sentencing. They might have witnessed his beating, and they certainly witnessed his crucifixion. And as they walked from Jerusalem towards their hometown of Emmaus, they were talking about all the things they had witnessed over the past few days. Can you imagine I don't know if I would be, um, if I was walking with Nancy after that, if it would just be silence, like I couldn't speak, or if I just wanted to just, just talk it out, everything that I saw. But somehow on this journey, Jesus suddenly shows up and joins them in their walk towards Emmaus. And like Mary, they didn't recognize him. Unlike Mary, who is grieving uh, the loss of Jesus' presence, these men seem to be saddened by the loss of what Jesus could give them, his presence. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Jesus acted as if he didn't know what happened in Jerusalem the last few days. And that stopped them in their tracks as everyone in Jerusalem for the Passover knew what happened the last few days. 
And it says they looked sad. The, the NIV literally says they stood still, their faces downcast. And I believe they were sad. But I don't believe that they were sad for a moment because um, Jesus was gone. Or, or even um, Jesus was dead. I mean, there's a certain level of sadness, um, actually, when you hear of the death of somebody that you didn't know, or maybe you know from a distance. But they were sad because of who they thought Jesus was and what he could provide them. They had truly hoped that Jesus was their Redeemer. They had truly hoped that Jesus was their Messiah who would come to set them free from the oppression of the Romans. In verse 18, then one of them, named Cleopas, answered Jesus, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there, there the last few days? They couldn't believe their eyes. Was this man living in a cave? He must have been the only one who didn't know what transpired the last few days. And I, Jesus wasn't trying to trick them or deceive them. In fact, just the opposite. He was leading them, as we see this passage unfold, to fuller understanding of who he is. Verse 19, Jesus said to them, what things? What happened? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all of this, it's now the third day since these things happened. It's now the third day since these things happened. Why was that important? They must have thought. They must have heard. They must have known the Old Testament scriptures that the promised redeemer of Israel would rise again from, on the third day. And here they are, mid to late morning. The sun hasn't been up all that long. And there's no firsthand uh, sightings of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, they had not crossed paths with Mary Magdalene yet. So they're headed back home. He's dead. He's not rising again from the dead. I think I'd be thinking the same thing. If Jesus had risen again from the dead, from the grave, and I thought he was here to redeem Israel, to, to save Israel from the oppression of Rome, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus have like knocked on the door of Pilate and said, hey, I'm back? Wouldn't he have appeared to the 12, uh, uh, the 11 apostles? Wouldn't he have started some type of, of, a, um, of a coup of the Roman army by now? Wouldn't he have uh, uh, announced something? Wouldn't there be shofars blowing? In verse 25, he said to them, and at this point they still don't know it's Jesus. He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into, enter into his glory? You see, the disciples were quick to doubt and slow to believe all that was written in the Old Testament. And we don't have time to look at this today, but if I remember when I, I first started understanding biblical theology, that there's one storyline from Genesis 1 to the end of, uh, end of uh, Revelation. And it's about one primary character, and that's Jesus Christ. When I started seeing the gospel in the Old Testament, it was like being born again, again. 
that, that every page of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points forward, and the New Testament points back to the cross. And you look, at, you look anywhere from 2 Samuel to Isaiah to Jeremiah, Zechariah, Micah, Daniel, Genesis, and many other books, and you're going to see that they pointed to the, the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious de- uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then they got a sermon in verse 27. And how would you like to be sitting there or walking with them in verse 27 and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The only written scriptures were the Old Testament. Don't miss that. And he opened it up to them and he said that all of these scriptures point to me. Paul said something similar in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He said, every one of God's Old Testament promises find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. And if we go to verses 28 and 29, they arrive in Emmaus. And after this seven-mile journey filled with great conversation with the clueless travelers, they finally arrive at their home in Emmaus. And they ask Jesus to stay with them. They actually urged Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus. I imagine they wanted to hear more. They probably never heard a teacher like that before. It seems as though Jesus wanted to keep going, but he agreed to come in anyways. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, they invited Jesus in to host him, and he turned around to be the host. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread. He blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him at that moment that the bread was broken, blessed, and given to them, and then he immediately vanished from their sight. Mission accomplished. They had hoped that Jesus was the one who would redeem them, But by breaking the bread, blessing it, and giving it to these men, Jesus illustrated to them that he is the one the scriptures pointed to. However, he didn't come to save them in the way they thought that they needed salvation. He came to give himself as a sacrifice for their sin. And he came to give himself as their friend so that they could be in eternal fellowship with the Godhead. By breaking the bread, by blessing it, and giving it to his followers, he's reminding them, and he's reminding us today that he gave himself, he gave himself for us and to us. In John 6, 35, in John 6, 50 through 51, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, I am that bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you for, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You see, Jesus uses a meal to signify his fellowship with his people as well as his faithfulness to provide for us what we cannot supply ourselves, and that's for the remission of our sins and a relationship with God the Father. 
It's through faith and repentance that we can begin even now to taste his presence and provision. And I want to say this. If you know Jesus, he knows you by name. If you know Jesus, you have already put your faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. If you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he's waiting. He's knocking. It says in Revelation 3.20, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And the response of the travelers in verse 32, they, after Jesus disappeared, they're going, man, what just happened? And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Their hearts were burning. God was drawing them. Scriptures revealed Jesus and the gospel, all of the scriptures. When Cleopas, had not seen, when Cleopas had not seen Jesus on that third day, he gave up and lost hope. He was impatient and quick to forget the promise of resurrection. He was confused about the promise of salvation, what Jesus came to bring. He was confused as to who Jesus was. He was disappointed that he and his countrymen were not going to be redeemed by Rome. But I want you to notice this. And I want you to notice this all throughout the Gospels about Jesus. That, that he didn't hold that against the travelers. He didn't hold up their unbelief against them. They asked honest questions. They were honestly scared. He didn't reject them. He answered them. And I want to ask you here this morning as we contemplate Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus and the travelers on the way to Emmaus that some of you I know who love Jesus are caught in such grief or in the midst of such trials that you aren't hearing his voice. And I want to remind you this morning that you, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He, in fact, he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. If you're like the travelers where you're just going about life spinning around in circles, being dissatisfied because you're not getting anything in this life that you want. You don't have enough money in the bank. You don't have the right job. Um, I don't know what it is. But you're, you're seeking happiness in what God can give. And I want to remind you this morning that God has already given it all. That he has already given you the best present, uh, the best gift that you'll ever receive. And that's himself. And he is always with you. And so we are, we're going to um, celebrate communion, which I'm just so jazzed about. These men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus revealed himself into, in what we are celebrating and remembering here today. That Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, 
he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is given for you. It's given for your sins and it's given to you for eternal relationship and fellowship with me, he said. And he took the cup and he said, this is the, this is the cup of the new covenant that is going to be spilled for you to create a way to the Father by faith. So as you come up and take the elements, if I can invite the worship team up, if you, when you come up and take the elements, if you would just uh, ponder the amazing reality that Jesus gave himself to die for your sins, and he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead so that we can have a forever relationship with him. And I want to, um, if, if you're new with us here or if you've been with us a long time and you um, don't know Jesus and he doesn't know you, what I mean by that, that you haven't trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, um, the table's not for you. It's, it's for those uh, who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And only, only God knows that. Um, and while you're sitting there and not taking the elements, though, I want you to um, have the picture that the men on the road to Emmaus had at that table. And that's Jesus breaking the bread and offering it to you, saying that he does want a relationship with you. And all you need to do is to believe that he died for your sins and then he rose again from the dead. And forsake your sin and follow him imperfectly the rest of your life. So enjoy the elements and we'll be back up in a few minutes.